Looking for a way to level up your coaching and win more? Get better fast with GMS Plus. GMS Plus is your on-demand source for the best, most proven volleyball courses, drills, stats, videos, tips, and much more. Learn from some of the game's winningest coaches and players, including Heather Olmsted, Keegan Cook, John Spraw, Mike Wall, and Courtney Thompson. I've learned a great deal from Gold Medal Squared, as have many of our guests. Whether you're trying to win a state championship or an Olympic gold medal, GMS Plus will help you get there. And we have a Coach Your Brains Out code for listeners. To get 20% off an annual subscription, go to goldmedalsquared.com slash CYBO and enter the code CYBO. That's goldmedalsquared.com slash CYBO. Welcome to Coach Your Brains Out, the show that explores learning from the top minds in volleyball and beyond. With your hosts, John Mayer, Billy Allen, Andrew Fuller, and Nils Nielsen. Well, we're gonna we're gonna make the uh, very natural transition from culture to blocking. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I don't know uh, how else to tra- transition this, but yeah, we'll, we'll get into. You had mentioned it's it's something that you're interested in, and 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 uh, and we haven't talked about it a lot, so I thought it'd be fun to pick your brain, and especially with you know watching the uh, the NCAA finals in Wisconsin, the way they stuff some balls. Uh, mm-hmm. Figured it'd be a good time to get into it. So I guess just can you start with what your approach is to blocking? Yeah, it's. You know, it's been a, it's funny when you go to clinics, I've been doing clinics and camps and stuff for decades. And I'm telling you, man, when there's a group of coaches sitting around and, a and some, and the, whoever's running the camp says, who wants to talk about blocking? Everybody like hunkers down and doesn't make eye contact and takes a step back. And like nobody, nobody ever feels good about what they do blocking wise, mm. you know, except maybe Kelly Sheffield right now after, <laughs> after what they did in the national championship. Yeah. But, you know, um, and you know, it's funny that blocking has become something that I've spent some time doing in clinics and stuff lately, because again, we're not the biggest, most physical team in the country. Um, and you know, we're never going to show up in the top 10 in the country in blocking because look, without question, a piece of it is, is always going to be about physicality. You know, there, I mean, there's just, that's why the, the, the thing I did at the ABCA last year at the clinic you know, the title of my session was blocking what matters other than vertical, because again, being, being physical and across the net. And I mean, that's always going to play a big part, but to me, it's more about maximizing what your individual blockers can be at the level you're doing it at, whether it's, you know, it's, it's being a lockdown kid because you're big and physical or whether it's, um, you know, a mid-level kid that just, um, is, is about maximizing who they are, or a really small kid who's just trying to touch some balls. I, I think it's more about um, getting past the, well, well, I'm not big enough or I'm not physical enough and getting to the, well, what parts of this can I control? And, um, and so that's what, that's what we've spent a lot of time on. I have, as I've dug deeper into it, um, you know, I'm, I'm starting to you know, I'm, I kind of get all over the map. Sometimes I'm starting to question some of the things that I've done in the past. You know, we've changed some things we've done. We were the, we were the best blocking team in, in our conference this year for the first time, probably in eight or 10 years, which I feel really good about because I think we're moving in the right direction. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I'm glad to answer whatever questions you have in terms of, uh, what we do and why we do it and what's important to me and and all of those kinds of things. So yeah, what are some of the most effective blocking games or activities you guys run? Um, well, you know, one of the things that 
that has been really, really helpful for me as a coach. And uh, I think really, really beneficial for our team. I don't know how many years ago it's been now I lose track of time, but probably, I don't know, 10 years ago, eight years ago uh, at the convention, you know, it, the big thing that came out was uh, eye sequencing stuff. You know, it was all defensive eye sequencing. You know, what, am, what are my reads defensively based on what I'm seeing? And they did some really great stuff on eye sequencing. And you hear a lot of uh, teams that are, that are even verbalizing what, you know, what they're seeing with their eyes, all that kind of stuff. And that's something that I took. This sounds really simplistic, but I told you a lot of what we do is uh, that I took into our gym that was super impactful is I make our our uh, blockers when we're training, when they get in the air, I'm making them verbalize what they where they think the ball is getting ready to be attacked. OK, do you think this ball is being re being ready to be attacked cross court? You know, if it's ball on the left side, you know, our middles are closing and they when they jump, they're saying line or cross. Okay, where's this ball getting ready to be attacked? And that sounds super simplistic, but I cannot tell you how much it has helped our blocking on a few different levels. Okay, one, um, you, I was shocked early on when I did it, how many times, let's say it is that middle, and they're closing out there versus a left side attack, and they would jump, and they jump, and they're verbalizing cross, you'll see them take their hands and press them toward the hitter toward the line if that makes sense you know and it's like wait what you're saying you see and what you're doing is exactly the opposite <laughs> you know and it, it you'll be shocked if you make kids verbalize you'll be shocked how many times what they do and what they say don't match up you know because you know they don't get there all the way and so they're reaching to a hitter or they're and so you know, we, we've made everybody verbalize and for, for, say for our middles, when they're jumping, they're verbalizing cross. And if they're verbalizing cross, we want to see their hands press that direction. If they're verbalizing line, then essentially what they're going to be doing is maybe filling the scene. Okay. And for our pin blockers, you know, again, if they see line, then they're pressing to the line. If they see cross, then they're, ver they're pressing to that scene. And so, that was the first thing. It, it was shocking to me how many times what kids were doing and what they were saying. Uh, slides, another great example, slide attacks, you know, because, you know, you don't have the traditional line of approach and all that. And so when a kid would go out to block there, you know, how many times they would be saying cross and reaching toward the slide attacker or whatever the case may be. And so I really liked it because it allowed us to get them to sync up what they're doing and what they're saying really well. And it also was really good as a coach for me to allow me to kind of track what, you know, the hardest thing to know when you're coaching is what is a kid thinking, right? Like what was she thinking when she made that move? And when they verbalize it, you know, it kind of helps me say, be able to identify where we, what do we need to work on? You know, because I can work on hand position all I want, but if a kid's pressing to the line when the ball's being hit cross, it doesn't matter how good my hand position is or if I'm dropping my hands or if I'm none, none of that. Matter. And so there's different, you know, there's decisions and there's execution. We talk about that offensively a lot with our players, you know, offensively. I talk about how efficient we are offensively. You know, everybody says, well, she's a high error kid. Well, what kind of errors are they decision errors or are they execution errors? Because you need to look that is it is it 
you know, a kid's trying to take swings that aren't there, or she's trying to hit a ball line and cut it out of bounds. Cause those are two different things. And same with blocking. Is it, is it what I'm seeing that's keeping me from blocking balls or is it my physical technique of what I'm doing that's keeping me from blocking balls? And the, the, the verbalization of it really helps me identify which of those things it is. And if, if a kid is consistently, you know, saying line when the ball's hit being hit cross, then I know their eyes are in the wrong place or they're trying to make decisions too soon you know, and we're trying to get them to wait a little longer to make those decisions because, you know, I, as I tell them all the time, I'd rather you, especially during training, I'd rather you be late and right than be early and wrong. And so even, even when we're training, even if a blocker is a little late getting in the air, but it's because they're really trying to identify what's going on, I'm good with that because that will improve. They'll, they'll get quicker in recognition and all that. And so, once I start seeing them pressing the right directions and seeing the right things, then we can get more into the, the foundational stuff of technique. Mm -hmm. That sounds like it could bring some awareness. So, mm -hmm. so I was watching um, your presentation this year at the ABCA. Well, I guess it was last year now, 2021. Mm -hmm. uh, and you were talking about swing blocking and how sometimes you don't like your pin blockers using it. Uh, so I was curious if you could go on to your, your philosophy on that and yeah, why. That's, that's one of the things that's on my mind a lot right now with blocking is, uh, you know, it's funny in this game, it, you know, when you coach as long as I have, you see the things come full circle. You know, they'll teach passing one way for a while. And, you know, way back when Toshi was our national team coach, it was all about footwork and all that kind of stuff. And now it's more about being stable and building platforms. And it's like, it, things that seem like they come full circle. They teach it one way for a while and then it swings somewhere else. And then ultimately it'll come back to where it started. And then, you know, that's just kind of the way it seems to go. And obviously swing blocking has become incredibly prevalent um, in the world of college volleyball. And for, for, for good reason, I understand. But as I've thought about it a lot lately and as a, we dealt with it this fall, I believe you know, offensively, where is the game going right now? Offensively, the game's getting faster and faster. Mm -hmm. And as the game has gotten faster and faster, I'm just not sure that there's not going to be a need for pin blockers to be proficient in what I call static blocking, which is, you know, old school static blocking versus mm -hmm. swing blocking. Because the, the, the example that I'll give you is, um, you know, a right side attack. People that are running a really lightning fast right side attack, um, you know, there's not much space between that setter and that attacker on the right side. And so when you're trying to make a swing blocking move, I found that our left sides were really struggling being in the air on time and all those kinds of things because of the tempo of the ball that was going behind the setter's head because you just don't have a lot of time to react. And I took some of our lefts and and kind of took them back when we were playing teams that really, really went fast and put them back in a static block situation. And it was very, very helpful for us. And so I think ultimately moving forward, I know this for my program right now, but all of our pin blockers are going to be proficient in doing both because I believe that it's going to, it's, there's going to be times, you know, when you're going to be, uh, you know, uh, somebody that runs a really, really fast slide attack. 
I think that's a difficult ball to be on time consistently as a swing blocker, especially when they're running it to different places. You know, when they're running it all the way to the pin, they're running a gap set, they're running different things. That is a really difficult thing to be on time and be in the air as a swing blocker constantly. And so, you know, we will, we utilized more of a static block sum in those situations in faster tempo balls because, you know, so many times you see when you're rushed, you see that swing blocker end up in a blow by situation, you know, and when the ball, in my line of thinking, when the ball's set fast, where is that ball most, li most likely to be attacked? It's going to be a cross-court ball, you know, most of the time. And so when your swing blockers rush, they're probably going to blow by. And so in a static block situation, it's much easier for them to finish, you know, make a move into the court and shut down that, that faster set that, that most likely is going to be attacked cross-court. So I, didn't, I don't know, long story short, I just think that there's going to be a necessity to be proficient in doing both moving forward. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, I think I've definitely gotten caught up on there's, you know, this one ideal way I'm going to jump higher and get further across the net. But like you said, we got to deal with the challenges of the game. And, and if I have multiple ways, not just one way to block somebody, you know, because of the way they're they're running their offense, then I'm going to be a better blocker versus I just have this one one tool. So I, I think it makes sense. So I'm with you. Yeah. And I think I think that it's, you know, as an attacker, you get comfortable, right? You get comfortable with a swing blocker, seeing them come and making a certain move throughout the course of a game. And, and to yeah. be able to kind of bounce back and forth and give them some different looks to me is no different than giving a basketball player some different looks with some defenses. So, for sure. um, you know, I, I just think that there's an, there's a, there's a place for that. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Uh, how about on the, the feedback side of things? Are there, there are things you go to, you know, that you found that really help with your blockers? Um, you mean more from, from a technical standpoint or just the yeah, anything where, where they're looking or yeah, the way they're moving or yeah, yeah anything that's helped. Well, one of the other things that I think is, you know, we spend a lot of, we spend a lot of time on, you know, hand positioning and footwork and all the things that everybody else spends a lot of time on. But I also think that we, I know this as a player myself, when I play and, and I truly believe this with blockers, especially is sometimes I think we handcuff. Sometimes I think we handcuff blockers with technique. You know, sometimes I think we we're so worried about hand position this and drop this hand and this, what do you, you know, all those kinds of things that we, we lose some of our uh, physicality. We lose some of our athleticism. And obviously I think the men's game does this way better than our game sometimes. But um, at the end of the day, you know, there, there is no skill in our game where to me, to me, if I had one, um, characteristic that I would want if I was building the perfect blocker I think the number one characteristic would be competitiveness you know I think being a, I think great blockers are people that compete at the net they're they're competing they're not you know the great blockers that you see I don't think are the ones that worry about having perfect hand position every single time you know I think you can train those things you know but I think that once you get past the training and you try to create some habits and stuff like that you know, we, you know, Lauren Matthews, who our All-American middle hitter, um, you know, is at her best when she's competing as a blocker. And we don't, you know, this is one of the things that may be a little unique too um, for me. One of the things that when I was young, 
as a coach, which a long time ago when everybody static blocked, it used to always be about closing blocks. You got to get close. You got to get all the way to their hip. You got to get close. You got to get close. And I've gone away. We never talk about closing blocks ever in our gym. Now we never talk about closing blocks because we talk about, you know, if you're swing blocking, like if, if I use the cues, you know, as a, as a blocker, if I'm using proper cues and I'm getting all the way to my hitter and I'm seeing the right things and my pin blocker is doing the same thing, we're going to end up closed, right? If we're both, if we're both doing the right things and I don't want my, I don't want my middle blockers attentional space to be on the person beside them. I want a hundred percent of their attentional space to be on the person across the net from them. You know, I want, and I want them to compete. I want it to be about what they're seeing and, you know, we do a drill. It's, it's again, another really simplistic drill where when Lauren, when Lauren is really struggling blocking, uh, I just gave it the name. We call it the high point drill. And it's simply um, Lauren one-on-one. We put a left side over there and Lauren's over there one-on-one and I'm changing tempos of the set that's coming. And Lauren is just trying to meet that attacker at the highest point. Like Lauren's trying to, you know what I mean? She's just trying to be big and physical at the point of attack and not worrying about closing to anybody or hand position this, but it's just about, um, you know, being physical, getting all the way to my hitter and trying to high point that ball. And, um, and so, you know, to me, great blockers, you know, Kalen Jackson, our right side really improved as the year went on this year. And to me, it's about, it's about, staying the cues that I give on game day, very, very infrequently have to do with hand position or anything like that. It's, it's about a competitiveness, you know, competing. It's about what am I seeing and getting all the way to hitters and doing those kinds of things. I'm curious on that uh, drill that you described. Why do you have the setter change tempos? Uh, I just think it's good. It's good work for Lauren to, um, you know, she can't just, fall in a rhythm and sit on one tempo. I think she has to learn to get moving and maybe drag and, and be at be, you know, it keeps her from being early in different tempos. You know what I mean? It keeps her to where she may have to make her first step move and then kind of drag with her feet and get on time to where she's still at a high, her highest point, you know? And um, so we'll, you know, we do it in, cause a lot of times with, you know, as fast as the game is, at least with our middles, you know, they, they're in such a quick move to the outside, quick move to the outside that when you end up with an out of system ball, they'll end up being early a ton, mm. you know, to where they're up and on their way down. And we really work, want them to be able to work on dragging. So I just like to, even when we're trying to be physical and play at our, at the highest point, I try to do it from different tempos where it's not easy for her to, you know, it would be easy. It's a timing thing as much as it is, you know, anything else. And are you telling the players ahead of time i mean the setters or does the blocker know as well the setter and the attacker know but the blocker, the blocker doesn't got it yeah yep and you mentioned competitiveness um are there any other common traits that the best blockers you've had have had um i like i i don't think there's any that's bigger than competitiveness um i, I really don't i don't think there's anything that that's tangible i think Different blockers are good because of different reasons. This kid may be pretty good because she's big. This kid may be. Look, I said this a thousand times this year. I believe that our best blocker was our five, six setter. 
Um, she, she was tremendous. So many quality touches. Obviously she wasn't stuff blocking a lot of balls, but she gave us quality touches. She, um, was great with her eyes. That's the other thing that she was great with her eyes. She was always in the right spot. Um, and she was always strong with her hands and, and the, you know, one of the other big things that we work on, she was very good at it too, is when we start talking about the training piece of it, independent hands is one of the things that we spend a ton of time on because, you know, I just, you know, again, it goes back to the verbalization too. I'll kind of connect these two. When we talk about independent hands, you know, I, I ask our players all the time, you know, when I think back to my time playing this game, how many times when I block a ball, am I blocking it with both hands? You know, it's not, it's not that often that you're blocking a ball with both hands, but yet you'll see players go up and they're kind of reaching and grabbing and, you know, at the ball with both hands. And I think teaching kids to be able to be independent with their hands is a really important piece of it. Again, when you're, what matters other than vertical, right, is being independent with those hands. And this is where we connect uh, the verbalization to with the independent hands part. Because again, if I say I'm the middle closing to the outside, if I'm jumping and I'm verbalizing cross court, well, which hand am, which hand does a middle blocker block that with 90% of the time, it's gonna be their left hand, right? So if they're saying cross, then they're taking their left hand to that ball and just trying to stay independent into the seam with that right hand. Or, you know, how many times, if you're a pin blocker, how many times do you block a left side attack hitting line, you know, you're going to block that with your right hand almost exclusively. And so, you know, you don't need to bring the other hand over on top. Like we really work a lot on if I'm verbalizing cross, then I'm really into my left hand and putting my left hand on that ball, you know, or putting my right hand on that ball. And so just the concept of independent hands and kind of connecting it with the verbalization and what I see um, is, you know, we do a lot of technique drills working on independent hands stuff. And so you mentioned the, I think a five, seven setter. So if we do have, you know, players that aren't as physical, um, what strategies do you have to get them to be uh, effective blockers if they're not just stuffing balls straight down? Well, I, I think it's important to not try to do too much. You know, I, I think that gets people in trouble. I think, you know, that's the thing we had to work on with her because she was, she's such a volleyball player. She sees the game at a high level in every aspect. And so there'd be a lot of times when um, she would know the ball was getting ready to hit, be hit cross court or, and she would try to, you know, dive inside too much to where, yeah, she was touching it, but she, I mean, it wasn't a quality touch. And so I think it's just being understanding that they, I think the smaller you are, the better job you have to do with your eyes and with your setup. Because, you know, as a bigger kid, you can be a foot or so away from line of approach and maybe still jump and close to where you needed to be. I think as a smaller kid, it's really important that you are great at fronting hitters and, and you know, seeing line of approach and those kinds of things because your window of where you can be effective is much smaller. And so you need to try to keep that window in front of the attacker as much as possible. And, um, and then she was really always really, really solid with her hands too. If, if she touched a ball, it was a quality touch, you know, she wasn't getting tooled a ton and things like that. And, um, you know, we actually, 
don't want to get off track, but we, we actually didn't mind at all when people tried to attack over her because, you know, I, people get really caught up with small setters and I, I don't, it doesn't really, you know, I, I yes, setters get attacked over top of some, but, and yes, it hurts teams some, but I don't remember how many matches I can ever go back and think we lost because we, they were hitting over our setter. You know, if they're hitting over our setter and all of a sudden now my floor defense knows where the ball is going to be attacked. So let's sit down and dig some balls. And, you know, you start getting, you start, we would move her out to the line and just kind of really squeeze that space, you know, and they were so, people get so worried about trying to attack over top of her. The, yes, they may go up and snap one over top of her for a kill. And then the next one catches the edge of the antenna and, you know, the next one, you know, and all of a sudden she's hitting a zero trying to do stuff that she's not comfortable doing. Mm, I like that. Uh, so I guess last one on blocking, I'm curious how much time you spend, you know, on blocking and yeah, focusing on blocking and doing activities during your practices. Yeah. Um, it depends on the time of year. You know, I, I think we, um, you know, early in preseason, we spend more time on technique stuff, independent hand stuff, um, you know, verbalization, all of those kinds of things we spend more time on early in the year. Uh, as we get later into the year, it's our blocking practice time usually consists of maybe a 10, 15 minute segment to reinforce something that we don't like, but then it's getting into more live attacking, live blocking stuff, because I just don't think there's anything that replaces that, um, you know, and, you know, we do a lot of things. This is a, not a drill that people haven't heard of, but we, we do a drill a lot too, where because I, we work so hard on their eyes, um, we do a drill where we we're tossing balls from behind the blocker, you know, over top of the blocker's head, uh -huh. just, just physically making our blockers pick up cues from the attackers. And, um, you know, so it's as, as time goes on through our season, I think it becomes more and more about live blocking, um, you know, because again, if we're, if we're in the meat of our season or getting later in our season and we're still spending a bunch of time on hand position or whatever the case may be, I worry that that's going to start pulling physicality out of our blockers and competitiveness out of our blockers. Mm. Because if their attentional space is there, it's not on what I believe to be the most important part of it in that moment, which is competitiveness. Yeah, I said last question, but I, I'm curious, how do you train competitiveness competitiveness and blockers like how do you bring it out of them mm, um may i was hoping maybe you could answer that one for me <laughs> uh, I, I think like anything else i think it's you have to recruit it to a certain degree i think you can improve it in kids but i don't i don't think you can you know we have a we have we have a kid right now who's a tremendously physical kid that we've been trying to drag it out of for two years and mm -hmm. It's not necessarily in her nature. She's, she's improved. You know, again, I think you try to set up competitive situations where, you know, we, we will do things. One drill that I'll give you that hopefully helps a little bit is um, we'll put up, we took two antennas, okay? And we put noodles down over the antennas because if you've ever like dove out and whacked your forearm on an antenna, that doesn't feel too good. So we've taken noodles and slid down over a pair of our antennas that go all the way down. And we will screw those antennas onto our net and give a certain amount of space in the court. And we will toss balls and tell our attackers 
you have to attack that ball between those and between those noodles or between those antennas. And it's just a competitive drill for my blocker. It's just, you're, you, you cannot allow the ball to travel between whatever space that is, you know, for a, for a five, seven kid, we may move them in a little, you know, for a bigger kid, we may move them. And it doesn't matter where they are on the net. None of that stuff matters to me. You can put them right in the middle of the court if you want. Mm. And, you know, you're just tossing balls up there and attackers are going up and their job is to beat you within that space. And my job is to not allow that ball to cross in that space. And mm. that drill takes away a lot of the other stuff other than just it's me and you. You're trying. It's like a soccer goalie in a soccer net, right? Like, mm -hmm. here's my net behind me. I can't let the ball get through there. And so we do a drill like that a lot, which brings out competitiveness a lot, which I really like, where it's just a kind of a space. And this is mine and you're not getting a ball past me and the attacker's trying to get that ball through there. And that, that brings out a real level of competitiveness that I like. Yeah, well, that's good. Yeah, if we, uh, if we forgot a secret pill, we'll let you know too. But <laughs> That'd be for, great. for now, we need just good games. Uh, so we just had a couple of random questions to close. I, I was going through some of your videos and, and saw you do a, a volleyball 101 session with mm -hmm. the Western Kentucky fans and media where you explain some of the basic uh, rules and, and things like that. So I was wondering why you do that. Yeah, we're just trying to grow our fan base. You know, we're, we're in an area where, um, you know, we've, we've been pretty successful. Fans here are great, but Kentucky, look, Kentucky is a basketball state through and through, right? And so you have a lot of people who are passionate about basketball and passionate about, you know, WKU basketball. And, and, and we've had a lot of success and they're really, really invested. But, but I have so many of these people that are like, look, I, I come to your games, but I, I really don't know what's going on. <laughs> and uh, it's, I, I don't know what it means when the official blows their whistle and this happens. And, you know, Lauren Matthews is an All-American. Why, why do you keep taking her out? <laughs> And I'm like, man, trust me, we'd leave her there if we could, you know, but they just don't know. And so um, I will combine this with telling you, um, um, well, so I do this volleyball one-on-one at the early, in the early part of the year where we just invite our fans to come in and I just sit down and explain the game. Like we can't expect, expect them to be invested in our sport if they don't understand how the game's played. And so you know, in preseason, we always have a, a, a inter-squad scrimmage where we let people watch and then we do a youth clinic. And during the youth clinic, I take all the fans that want to come into a separate room and we do a volleyball one-on-one and we start with these are the positions and this is how you rotate and all those kinds of things. And that has been very, very well received and, and has helped grow our fan base. And then I also do um, prior to every match, this is very different. Um, but I, I have to give you a little bit of backstory. So I hate warmups. I, I hate it. I hated it as a player. I think wh why we need to warm up for an hour, I still don't understand. Okay. And, uh, but as a coach, I used to go out for warmups and, you know, we, we have a bad warmup and I'm, I'm really worked up before we ever serve the first ball. And I'm like, this is no good. So I, I only go to the court now. I walk out of the locker room with about nine minutes to go on the clock. It's the first time I, I get to the court on game day. And so 30 minutes prior to every home match now, um, we have a session where our, our season ticket holders can meet me in the media room 
and I'll give them a quick little volleyball 101 and a quick little scouting report on tonight's match. And they love it. They absolutely love it because, I mean, we're getting ready to first serves in 30 minutes. They come for the game. They can stop by there, hear a little bit about our opponent and what we're going to be trying to do before we go to the game. And to be honest, it's awesome for me because it keeps my mind off things, <laughs> you know, uh, going into our match too. So it's a win-win. It's something that that I really think is a positive for anybody that's trying to grow their fan base and grow the knowledge of the sport in their area. That's a really cool idea. I could see getting too into it. And then all of a sudden uh, the first set starting, I guess you got to set an alarm I have or to, something. You know, listen, let's, let's <laughs> not, let's not overvalue the importance of us in that moment. They probably would be just fine with that. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah. yeah maybe it'd be better. <laughs> yeah. No doubt. Uh, I was walking uh, here into my office at LMU and, and telling coach Aaron Mansfield, who coaches our indoor team, and he was, you know, saying all the great things about your program, but he mentioned something. I didn't fact check this, but that he, he said, he felt like you guys play like every year you play a ton of matches, like you play more than anybody. And he was basically just wondering if that was uh, on purpose. Um, yeah, we, we have in the past, obviously with COVID, we haven't played as many in the last, last couple of years, you know, um, but we do, I mean, we play a lot. Look, I, I have to try to build because we're not in a power five conference. I always have to try to build RPI, you know, with our non-conference schedule. And I think it's really important in recruiting because in recruiting, one of the things that gets used against us is, is that, like, we don't play in the SEC, we don't play in the Big Ten. So as many of those kinds of opponents as we can get scheduled non-conference, I think it just helps. You know, my, my sell is, look, we're, we're not in the SEC, but look, we're playing, look, we're playing big 10 SEC opponents. We just have to do it a different time of year. Right. And so we do, I think what drives the number up is we try to play some of those matches, but then we also have to play some of those developmental matches too, right. Where you're developing your young players. And, and so it causes us to play a lot in the early part of the year. Hmm. Makes sense. And then uh, finally, you guys, like we said, you guys have had a lot of success. Um, do you, do you see any challenges to your guys' program to continue that success? Um, if I'm being blunt with you, I don't think the challenge has ever been greater than it is right now. Uh, I, I think that, man, this, this, deal's, this deal's changing a lot uh, with, with the, the NIL and with the transfer portal and with everything that's going on. I, I say this a lot, and I'm, I'm disappointed to say it, but it's true. I don't know that this is the college athletics that I signed up for, you know, th this is, um, this is, there's, there's, there's getting to be a pretty big gap between the, the haves and the have nots and the, you know, all of those things. And I just don't know that what's going on. Maybe I'm just getting old. I don't know, but I just don't know that, look, am I for kids being able to make money? Of course I am. You know, I, I certainly am for that. And, but I, I just, this just isn't, it doesn't feel like college athletics to me anymore in a lot of ways. And so it's getting harder. It's, there's no doubt it's getting harder. Recruiting is getting harder because, you know, uh, of that gap. But, you know, I continue to believe that, that, I don't know, I, I guess this is the way I'll say it. I will continue to do it the way that I've done it. And uh, under the assumption that, that we won't sign all the kids, but we'll sign the right ones. And if ever it gets to a point where we can't be successful doing it in the manner I do it, then it'll be time for me to step away because what I will be able to do is lay my head on my pillow every night and feel good about the way we do it. And the way we do it is kids developing, 
um, being in an environment where they're loved and cared about, kids developing. And I believe that, that there's a portion of this that money will never be able to buy. And, uh, and we're always going to work really hard to, to dig into that piece of it. And I believe there are kids out there that, that this is what they're looking for. And, um, and so, you know, we have to change with the changing times, but yet the core values of what we're about are never going to be negotiable. Well, listening to, you know, you talk about your culture and your process over the last uh, hour, I, I think you're going to continue to find a success. I think kind of like you said, how if you took a coach from a different sport and inserted them in volleyball, they'll find a way, right? Good coaches will find right. a way. So, so I think, right. you're, uh, I think you're going to continue to do amazing things over there and it's going to be fun to follow along. And I'm glad we got the opportunity to, to learn from you and spend this time with you. So thanks so much for, for doing this. Man, I really appreciate it. You guys do a phenomenal job with this and uh, hopefully our paths will cross in person, man. I'd love to spend a little time with you guys and, uh, and kind of vibe off you and learn from you and, uh, so this this has been a pleasure. I really appreciate it. Awesome. I look forward to that. Thanks a lot, Travis.